This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. There was another soldier who had met someone and wanted to get married right there on the post. And I got permission to go to the post exchange and I bought a Pentax K1000. I learned how to use it in about a week. And then I photographed her wedding and that was the very beginning. So at the end of the day, when I think that I could not do something, I ask myself this question. Did I have a good reason or did I have a great excuse? This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Today's guest is Donna Maria Robinson-Jones with Circle Life Images, and she has some amazing knowledge, not only about being a photographer, but also just about life in general. Donna Maria is someone that I could talk with all day, and we actually kept talking even after the recording was finished. But Donna Maria has some gorgeous and just powerful work that she typically shoots in her studio, and her lighting is really incredible. She shares with us a little bit about how she does it, and also how she switched to a photography career after being in the military and medical field for many, many years. And she also just talks about what inspires her overall. It was an absolute honor to spend this time chatting with Donna Maria, and I'm pretty sure you'll love listening to her as much as I did. Here is Donna Maria Robinson-Jones. Donna Maria, thank you so much for being here with me on The Portrait System today. The pleasure is all mine. You know, I like when we were just chatting earlier, I was saying how it's just, it's so nice to hear your voice. It's like we can, you know, kind of see people online and follow their work and see their photos and what they write. But you know, to actually hear someone's voice that you've been watching online or whatever. It's its so nice. So I'm just, I'm really happy to talk with you today. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here doing this. It's really quite an honor. Oh, it's an honor to have you. So, okay. You're in Maryland, right? I am. I am in Southern Maryland. Yep. And have you always lived in Maryland? No, actually I was born in DC. I was raised until high school in Southeast DC. I was an army brat. So I was actually born at Walter Reed Army Medical Center and I've moved around quite a bit. I went to college first time in Washington DC and then I went off, joined the military and have moved around quite a bit. And now I'm back here. And even though I'm in Maryland, I'm about 23 miles from the D.C., Maryland state line. Oh, okay. So your mom or dad was in the Army as well? 
My father was in the Army, and my parents divorced when I was really young, but I just had that desire to go in the military, and there were a lot of different circumstances going on in the family. So I started college first and then enlisted and ran off to the military. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so photography wasn't something that you started out with. Like you started in the military and then found photography. They kind of happen together Hmm. because I started pre-pharmacy school at Howard University in Northwest D.C. And then I joined the military. I actually enlisted. And right after boot camp, you go to your initial medical training. And while I was there, there was another soldier who had met someone and wanted to get married right there on on the post. And we asked her, well, who's going to photograph your wedding? And we were still in student status. And she says, well, you know, I can't afford a photographer. So Mm -hmm. I got permission to go to the post exchange and I bought a little camera, a Pentax K1000. I learned how to use it in about a week. Wow. And then I photographed her her wedding and that was the very beginning. Wow. Yeah, it was exciting, but the real excitement came years later. So we got her pictures back. I gave her the pictures, the negatives, everything. I, you know, I didn't know. I just wanted to make sure that that special day was chronicled. So, yeah. What a great friend. Like, what a great thing to do for someone. <laughs> like, you went out and bought a camera just to, sh- to do that for them. That's really cool. It was awesome. Wow. Okay, so from there, did you just fall in love with photography? I did. I, I took my camera everywhere. And, you know, I, I came home from training. I went back to school for a, a little while. I was just trying to balance playing, and I say playing with my camera and schoolwork, but eventually the schoolwork won out because I got a scholarship. I got an Army ROTC scholarship to return to school and finish out my pharmacy degree. And there wasn't a lot of time to do any photography. I got married in my senior year of college, and then The day after graduation, I was shipped out. Uh So I didn't really get to celebrate. Shipped, yeah, no kidding. Shipped out to where? Actually, I had an advanced, it's called advanced individual training. So I had training to do after I was commissioned. So when you graduate from the ROTC program, you get your commission as a second lieutenant. And the next day I had to leave for some additional training. I didn't even get to sit for my board's. Wow. That was supposed to happen, you know, not too long after graduating, actually the following month. And so when I got finished with that training, I returned. I sat for my boards without having any time to study at all, passed my boards, and then went to work. And so I would just shoot every now and then. I mean, I I, I was married, but I had no children at that time. And then I got pregnant. We had a beautiful daughter, and then I was sent off to war. Oh, my gosh. And I took my camera. Wow. <laughs> yeah. She was very, very young. She wasn't one yet, if I'm not mistaken. And so went off to war, was gone for a little over six months. Oh and I actually took pictures while I was gone. They're not all pictures that you'd want to see, but uh, they are memories that I keep just to make sure that my history isn't lost. 
Mm-hmm. And when I came back, I just really, really, really wanted to pick up the camera seriously. And ops tempo was still too high. And I came back in 91, 1991. And soon after that, I realized that my bachelor's degree in pharmacy wasn't going to be enough. So I wanted to go back to school and get my doctor of pharmacy. The handwriting was on the wall that they were going to get rid of the bachelor's program, which was five years. And I wound up switching services. And I went into the Air Force, active duty, camera with me, and things just kind of took off from there. My Air Force career really took off. I did very little in my career field for a long time. But because I wasn't doing things in my career field, I got promoted pretty quickly. And I really didn't pick up the camera much anymore. I was doing some other things, like I was doing vocal performances on top of my Air Force duties while in the Air Force. And so the camera just kind of collected dust for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a singer too? Yes. Oh, nice. Yes. That's awesome. So kind of a circuitous route to get to where I am today. (laughs) I know. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So you said the camera just collected dust for a while and you just were doing other things. And then do you mind if I ask at what age you picked it up again and you were like, okay, I'm doing this? Well, I want to say when my son was born, I was about to turn 30. Oh, so you were still very young when you had, (laughs) you like accomplished a lot in your life at a very young age. In my head, I'm like, you're like 45 already, you know, like the army that, you know. No. Okay. No. So the camera did collect us for a while. I, I will say this. There's a little caveat there. The only thing I was really photographing was my children. And so when my son was born, he was born in February, and that April I turned 30, and I would photograph the children all the time. But I didn't do anything else with it. And then by the time they got to be, I want to say, maybe five and eight, there really wasn't room in my life for doing much of anything photography-related because I was wearing multiple hats in the military. And I was by then, I was a single parent. So it was just me and the children. And if you can imagine trying to travel around to different duty stations and not having a family support system, still trying to do well on your job and being a single mom. And while I was a single mom, I still had to, you still have to do things with the children. So I was the den mother. I was, you know, scout leader. I was the basketball mom on both of their teams. And Then I started picking the camera up again because I wanted to take pictures of their basketball games. Mm, And that was really important, but I didn't realize how important that was until later. So I sat the camera back down and we moved again. Then I picked the camera back up. So it collected dust, but it collected dust in a cycle, (laughs) in a cycle. But I wasn't photographing anyone else, just my children here and there. And that was it. Came back to the D.C. area to work for the Surgeon General. And then, I don't know, something happened. I started looking around for photography groups. And I found the Exposure Group. It's a African-American Photographers Association. And I, the hunger came back. And it just took off from there. 
And fast forward, I found Sue and the rest is history. <laughs> wow. I know it, you're not the first to say that. It's like I found Sue and then like, that's how it was for me too. Like I was kind of like lost out there in the whole, what am I going to do with this photography? And then all of a sudden it was like, oh yes. Is that similar to how it, <laughs> how it was for you? It really is. What happened in the interim was the, the children were playing basketball for their schools and then for the community leagues. And I was photographing all of the games. And it was good to do because as long as I was down there photographing the games, I wasn't yelling out, telling my kids what to do on the court. <laughs> so because you can't do both. Right, right. And do them well. So I love that. So, yeah. And then that turned into meeting other photographers that were strictly there to photograph the games. And that turned into me establishing relationships with these sports photographers. There were a couple from Getty. And then there were college sports photographers. And then I started shooting collegiate games. Then I was hired by MIAC with another photographer to shoot the tournament games. And so the sports was a really big part of this. And then I started picking up weddings. And this was the key to being able to shoot weddings well was having been a sports photographer. Uh huh. Because understanding peak action being very flexible and dynamic, learning how to pan and, you know, all those different techniques that's required to get a solid shot, but also anticipating that moment when something is about to happen. And so the wedding started pouring in, but there was still a void. There was still a void. You were working full time during all of this, right? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Do you ever look back and think like, how did I, how did I do all of of that at the same time? I I try not (laughs) to do that because it makes me very anxious. I, you know, I'm like, how? And so when people ask, well, well, when did you have time to do that? I just say, I can't answer that question because I just can't answer that question. I think one of the things that being in the military did for me was learning how to respond you know, at a second's notice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and being able to perform under pressure, but perform under pressure well, because there's all kinds of levels of performance. And so I, I find that when there's multiple things going on, if I have to give attention to one, I'm really focused on it. And then I'm able to just adjust. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I was working full time, I was still a single parent. Both kids were playing ball for their schools. And, you know, I had an active practice. Uh, By now, I had my doctorate and I had more responsibilities and I was wearing multiple hats. And I honestly can't tell you how I was doing all of that. Yeah, yeah, but you did. I mean, and it sounds like everything led you to where you're at now. And It's like when we're on that path and everything's so crazy, like right now, life is just so crazy for me, you know, being a young mom with young kids, which, you know, you, yes, I'm sure you remember, but it's like, man, all of this leads you to where you're going. (laughs) And at the time it might not feel like it. It might, you know, thinking back, like you said, it makes you feel anxious because I'm sure at the time it was just so hectic, but gosh, everything just led you to where you're at today. And it's just so cool. Yes. I really believe that the things that we are going through or have gone through are setting you up to be successful at something else down the road, or at least being able to handle it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you brought up a really good point. I never really thought about how sports photography could prepare you for weddings like that. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, wow, that makes so much sense. Because I think a lot of times what happens with wedding photographers is they put down the camera at the most important moment, that after, that in-between moment. Yes. Yes. And I bet you were so good at getting, oh, I have the chills just thinking about it. I bet you were so good at getting the in-between moments. You know, I, I tell you, I believe in transitions, the moment of transition. So if you put your camera down, you miss the transition. Mm-hmm. This has also aided me in portrait work because a lot of my portraits, well, I'll say some of my favorite and most emotive images come from not sitting that camera down in between posed shots because in that transition, the the person relaxes. I mean, they become their, their full self again. They're in tune to themselves and it's so fleeting. It is like it's fractions of a second. And that's that's the moment. Yeah, it's, it's so true. So how long did you do weddings? Well, I, I want to say maybe, I want to say seven years. I thought 2020, I wasn't doing any more weddings. That was my goal. Not because I didn't like weddings, but I fell in love with portrait work. And Once I moved into my studio, I moved into the studio because I wanted to focus on portrait work. I moved into the studio in 2012. It's an old auto repair bay that had only been occupied by two people, and that building is almost 40 years old. And so for the first 18 months, I could not work in there because so many things had to be updated to pass all of the inspections. Mm -hmm. And so... For 18 months, I paid rent and utilities without being able to work in there. Wow. And so during that time, though, I shot more weddings. I photographed more weddings during that time. And so as I started doing more and more work in the studio, my passion for the portrait photography just grew and grew and grew to the point where I just really wanted to focus on that. And so I decided last year that I was not going to really market for for weddings in 2020. But, you know, there's something that Sue has said, you know, you, you sell what you show. And when I think about it, I go back to my website, and most of the images on my website are wedding images. And so I decided I wasn't going to shoot any more weddings. And the more I tried to stick to that, the more people came to me and wanted me to photograph their wedding. So, (laughs) yeah, so this year I shot a wedding right after the pandemic just kind of went crazy. In March, everything changed. It went from 200 people to 16 and went from inside the church to outside on the parking lot. And literally people were about 10 to 12 feet apart. And I thought, this is my last wedding. And then... Two weeks ago, I got a request from another photographer that they needed a second shooter and they needed really bad. So I think that was my last yeah. <laughs> You're like, but that one, I swear, I swear is my last one. I know. They say never say never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Okay. So you had the 18 months of not being able to shoot in your studio. At what point were you able to start and you know what's been going on since then? 
I started really utilizing the studio in early 2014. Things moved very, very slow because while I was retired from the military, I was still doing some work for the Department of Defense. And I was still working full time. And it was really hard to be 100% available to both. So the studio was there for when I needed it. And there's something about still having that paycheck coming in from a job that does not move you to be motivated to do this other thing as well as you possibly could. And so I did that other job for four years and just used the studio occasionally to shoot portraits. And then I left that job. I resigned so that I could shoot full time. And let me tell you, that was 2018. And there is nothing more motivating to get your tail in gear (laughs) than not having... (laughs) You are not kidding. That paycheck. It's so true. Yes. Now, my retirement check is to take care of my home bills. It does absolutely nothing for the studio. And it is very little in comparison to what I was making. And so I literally went from having a six-figure salary to zero salary, and I had this studio. So since 2018, I've become much more motivated. And all the time that I have been following Sue and Sue Rice Education and all the phenomenal mentors and the other photographers that are part of that group, all of the photographers outside of that group and mentors that I've had in other parts of my life, none of it really like had its greatest impact until I had the need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The need. Totally. Yes. Totally. Yes. Yes. So in 2000, mid-2018, I literally felt like I was starting fresh and I just jumped in with both feet and I haven't, I haven't looked back. And I still feel like I'm nowhere near where I want to be. But in that year and a half from 2018 to now, there's been so much growth. It's kind of like, I feel like bamboo. You know, when you plant bamboo, for the first few years, you don't see any growth above the ground because it's laying its roots. And it's a pretty extensive root system that it lays underground. And then all of a sudden, the bamboo just starts growing. And I mean, the shoots are popping up everywhere. And so I feel like I'm at the beginning stages of of my growth above ground, if that makes sense. What a beautiful analogy. Yeah. It's such a great visual too. It's funny though, because it, to me, it seems like you have already grown. I mean, like your work is incredible. Your light is just like, ugh, you have the best lighting. Oh, thank you so much. And just like the expression of your subjects. And to me, you have already made it. Like you're so successful in my eyes. Oh, wow. Thank you. So it's interesting to hear the analogy, how you feel like you're still, I mean, okay. But if you didn't feel like you had anywhere to grow, of course, that wouldn't be a good thing either. Like we all can always grow. Yes. But yeah, it just seems like, like, can you give us an idea of how often you're shooting and if you want to share like your sales average and what types of shoots you mostly do now? Okay, certainly. So 
Well, first of all, you know, the pandemic has had us shut down. We're just getting ready to move into phase three of reopening here. And since I have a makeup artist that comes to the studio, I had to have a makeup artist that was willing to follow the guidelines, wear a mask and things like that. So I am just now reopening, like literally two, two or three weeks now. And when the pandemic first hit, it was during the time where finally I could say, oh, I have very few openings left in the next two months on my calendar. Mm-hmm. And I could say that in February for March and April, the first week of March, everyone canceled, everyone. So I just did my first two paid shoots in the last three weeks. But if I were to look at 2019, which was really very slow growth in the beginning and picking up towards the end, and, and also taking into consideration January and February. So if I, if I look at those 14 months, my sales average is $1,925. That's such a great average. Wow. I think so too. I think part of me says I really, really must do better because, you know, I have a huge overhead. I have a 2,500 square foot studio. Oh, wow. That's huge. Yes. Like that's really big. <laughs> yes, it is. And so so I really want to do better for two reasons. I want to just experience that growth in being able to provide exceptional service to clients to the point where they they value coming to me not only for themselves, but to also make referrals. But the second is I want to be able to pay the bills and save money and put money back into the business. So My motivations are there. The pandemic decided it wanted to, you know, interfere with that if I let it. So, and I I say that because it has really hit a lot of us, you know, very, very hard in the pocket, but also psychologically. Mm -hmm. And so during this time, I have been doing things to prepare for reopening. Everything from painting backdrops, renovation projects in the studio, things that I could do without involving anyone else or taking any risks with contracting the coronavirus. But I've also been studying more. Now, I am a perpetual student. There are pros and cons to being a perpetual student. The pros are you're always learning. The cons are at some point in time, you have to step away from the learning and actually do something with it. So... Now I am prepared to do something with all of the things that I have added to my arsenal of knowledge during this break that we've had. So I know for a fact that my sales average is going to go up. I have inquiries that are coming in right now. And I think what was needed was just to put some images out there from these last two shoots that I had to let people know, okay, she's, she's ready because we actually see some work. She's ready. Okay, we we want in. Put me in, coach. We want in. Yeah, I love it. And your attitude is so great. You know, this this is a time that it can go either way for people and you're preparing and you're getting ready and you're like, my sales average is going up. And it will, it will, because you are going to make it go up. I mean, you're the, with that attitude, heck yeah, it's going to go up. So awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so it's all portraits from here on out. Do you ever do any sort of like sports stuff anymore? Well, and your last wedding, you said, I'm going to hold you to that. 
It's, <laughs> it's going to be on this recording forever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. I would say portrait work is now and will be the mainstay of my business because I have another outlet as far as photography is concerned, and that's photojournalism. I still do that kind of work. And I have, you know, different connections with organizations on the Hill. And so I am requested often to come and and shoot different events, especially with this being election season, I will probably be photographing some events. In the past, it has been that way with the pandemic, you know, I will just exercise uh, the precautions necessary so that I can photograph events and not take any additional risks. But I've also started product photography, and you don't see that in my work that's published because I am literally engaged with private companies to do work for them. I have a rare books deal that I've been working on, and it is so unbelievable, the kinds of books. What's that? Tell me more about that. Okay. So there are two business partners that are rare book collectors and sellers, and they have about 10,000 books for me at, there's an interval that we use as far as how many books per month that I'm photographing for them because they put them in their catalogs and they sell these books. And I'm a reader. I love books. I have a Kindle and I don't use it because I'd rather have the books in my hand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to turn the pages. I want the smell of the books. I love the library. And so, you know, there's there's a lot that is involved with the handling and photographing of these books. And if you can imagine photographing a page out of the original Guggenheim Bible, you know, I have photographed Mozart's Fifth Symphony, the hand-drawn pages. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable what I get to witness, and then I get to photograph them. And so that's something that I've been doing actually since January. Wow. And that's something you can do without having to be around people, right? Right. And so originally I was going to them because if you can imagine the value of these texts. Right, right. Probably the most expensive book that I have photographed so far was being sold for $112,000. So we're talking, Wow, this is a really big deal. So I have been going to them to photograph these books. And then when the pandemic hit, I had photographed so many that I have had time now to just edit. And there's a numbering system. There's just, there's so much involved. You have to build a database. But now I am back to photographing them again. And we have a different arrangement set up because to go to them in the building where they are, there are lots of other businesses in there. And we want to make sure that we are mitigating risks to ourselves and to our families. So we have set up something else just this past week so that I can continue to photograph these rare books. It is just amazing. Like if you have children, especially if you have children, if you can imagine photographing the very first set, first edition of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Like that's, yeah. 
yeah, it's it's pretty impressive seeing this collection. It's really impressive. So I'm honored and humbled to be able to to do that. Just to be able to even touch, like, are you allowed to touch them or do you have to like wear gloves? Yes. Yes. So there's, there's, like I said, there's a lot involved and you would think that you would wear gloves. I wash my hands so much and I'm used to that because being a healthcare provider, I wash my hands a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But with these books, I will take breaks and I will go and wash my hands because you, you don't want to use gloves because you have to, the gloves actually reduce your tactile senses and you want to have your hands right on the book because one misstep and you drop that book or you, you won't, you may not feel it slipping if you have gloves on your hands. And so, mm, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, so cool. It's a really big deal. Yeah, I wish we had time. I would explain to you what that process is to photograph one book. You can't open the book beyond what the binder allows naturally, but yet there's certain things that you have to photograph, you know? So you can't take your book and open it up and take your fingers and press down the pages. Oh, no, you don't want to do that. Right. Yeah. So, right. so yeah, it's oh it's gosh. really exciting. I don't know if anybody else gets this as excited as I do about photographing rare books, but <laughs> I know I wish we had more time to talk about it too. I'm like, do that? How do they smell? Like, do they smell? I don't. In my head, I like love going into bookstores and the smell and the feel and everything. So this is just fascinating. But for for people out there who I'm sure are wondering, is this a paid gig? Like, is it like something that you get paid regularly for? Oh, absolutely. Or is it by the book or by the? You know, I'm curious because I did notice on your website that you have several different kind of corporate clients. So I'm curious if that's, you know, something that you get consistently have income from. Okay. So as far as the rare books, um, it is product photography and I am compensated for that. And the method varies depending on the photographer or the company. So you can get paid by the book or you can get paid by the image. So if the client wants specifically four to six images per book, then you can charge them by the image. For me, I am charging by the book because of the number of books, and I want to maintain that contract to photograph all of their books. There's also a sliding scale based on the number of products. So if a company comes to you and they want you to photograph five products, then you will charge them one rate. But if they come to you and they want you to photograph 5,000 products, then you would charge a different rate. And usually the rate goes down per product because you know that you're going to have so much work from them. So it, it varies, Nikki. I am actually charging by the book and I know they want somewhere between four and six images and I get to decide whether it's four or six images. And sometimes I'll give them more images for a particular book because there's just so many fascinating things about the book. Mm -hmm. It could be the marbled binding. There's just, just so many things that dictate whether or not I want to photograph more images versus the, the lower amount. Right, right. How cool. What a cool like niche to get into. Okay, so marketing in general, I mean, I, I'm assuming you market a little bit different to like the corporate and, you know, the rare book project and all that, but for your portraits and, you know, how are you getting your clients? 
Well, I hope I don't get an email from Sue saying, all right now, young lady. (laughs) So I have really not done a great job of marketing. So this is full transparency here. I have gotten every one of my portrait clients except for one by word of mouth. Nice. So I tried marketing, I want to say three years ago for a Valentine's Day campaign, and it did so-so, and I didn't do it again. I'm not going to say I don't believe that using Facebook ads or anything like that, that I don't believe they work, because I believe they do work, but I believe on my end, on the user end, that there are some things that I needed to do better. And since that time, we have been given all kinds of examples and instructions and guidance on how to do that well. And I have not pulled the trigger on them because right now, word of mouth seems to be working. Yeah, yeah. Now, with all of that said, and that's not just portrait work. As far as my photojournalism work, that's also been by word of mouth. As far as the Rare Books deal, I was referred by another organization to shoot that product job for them. But any kind of way you've looked at it, I have not actively gone out and marketed myself as well as I think I could have. But with all of that said, I do have a campaign in mind. It follows along the guidelines of the 40 over 40, 50 over 50, but it's it's with a twist. and. I I hope to be launching that in the next 30 days. I have my first client for that coming this month. And I want to use that portrait to actually introduce the campaign. So I haven't put anything out there. I have not done any kind of model call. And right now I won't be. I'm literally hand selecting these women. And from there, we see where it goes. That's exciting. I'm going to have to watch on your Circle Life Images Instagram to see what you see what you put out there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if you're if you're listening and you're like, "Ah, oh, what kind of campaign could I do or whatever?" Sue has a really great video on the Sue Bryce Education website called Faces. Yes. And she just talks all about doing campaigns and how you can use them as a marketing tool and so it's pretty cool. But like the thing is for you, I love how great that everything's been word of mouth. I mean, it seems to me that your potential to grow is enormous if you haven't even done like a proper marketing campaign yet. It's so cool. I have not done a proper marketing campaign. However, I will say that this campaign that I am about to initiate has stemmed solely from Sue's Faces campaign. Oh, nice. Yes. Cool. So the video I was just talking about. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes, yes. I have watched that video a few times. (laughs) And I will be watching again because every time I watch it, I get something new, like something that I either missed or I didn't tune into the time before. But you know, that's how it is. It's like you can read a book, you know, 10 times and every time you read it, you, you tune into something else. Totally. That you didn't get one of the times before. So that Faces campaign video that she did was very, very instrumental in putting this campaign together. Awesome. Awesome. I'm really excited about it. I'm very excited about it, actually. Yeah, I can't (laughs) wait to watch for it. This will be good. Sweet. I have one more question for you before I ask you all the questions that I always ask people at the end. 
And that's, I'm curious about your pricing. I know you said you have a little over $1,900 average for portrait. Are you doing packages or a la carte? I, I have a combination. So I'm doing packages and a la carte. I have clients that come in with different budgets and different senses of value. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's key um, because it's not always about how much money they have in the bank. It's about where their, their value system lies. So I do have packages and I call them collections. And I also have a la carte and I have a la carte, the folio boxes, albums and wall art. And then in the collections, there's a combination. My collections are in the midst of being revamped because I believe in that saying, and Sue says it all the time, a confused mind says no. Correct. And I think I was offering too many things and people were having to think about, well, do I really want that in that part of the collection? And then they would say things like, well, if I don't get that, how much does that drop the price? And, you know, things like that. So the more for more means a lot. And the confused mind says no is causing me to go back and revamp my not just the price list, but the product availability, like the things that I'm actually offering. Right, right. You know, it's actually good timing because we're in the middle of the 12-week startup and we're just doing week two right now with the pricing and product. Yes. Product for me has always been stressful because I, I just don't enjoy dealing with it. I don't like the shipping, the ordering, the whatever. So it took a while for me to fall in love with a product so much that I didn't feel annoyed that I had to deal with it, if that makes sense. Understood. Yeah, yeah. Understood. But yeah, it is. Pricing can be an evolving thing and that's okay. But like you said, if it is confusing and if it is overwhelming then and the, and the product piece of it, then you're really smart to just kind of narrow it down. And yeah, it helps people. It helps your sales for sure. Helps people make decisions. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, very cool. I just am so impressed with your work and just you know, everything you've accomplished in your life. And it's really cool. It's really cool to hear your story. And I appreciate you sharing it with all of us. Thank you so much. Yeah. I do have more questions though. You're not off the hook yet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So number one is what's something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? Oh, that's easy. It's definitely music. Mm. It's definitely music. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I changed the music based on, well, a couple of things what my intent is for the mood of the shoot. And then I also ask the client, like, what kind of music do you listen to when you're feeling A, B, C, you know, Mm -hmm. A, B, or C? Mm -hmm. Because if we're doing something that's really supposed to be upbeat, then I certainly don't want to have, you know, a really moody kind of music playing. Right, right. But there are times when we're really shooting something that's supposed to be emotional, you know, cathartic, like if a client is really trying to just like come out of a situation, we have our moments in that studio. They know that whatever happens in there stays in there. Oftentimes there are tears, you know, I'll actually say to them, you know, if you are having a moment in the middle of us shooting, I'm going to continue to shoot you. I'm going to continue to photograph you so that you have those moments to cherish It really is very freeing and liberating, you know, to have your moments in the middle of your of your photography session, your photo shoot. And so we talk while we're shooting. It's not all do this with your hands. 
point your feet this way. You know, we're, we're actually having a conversation because that's how we get them to kind of let their hair down and, you know, be comfortable in, in their own skin while they're, while they're in the studio. And it's really interesting. More often than not, they come in nervous, you know, and don't want to leave. Right. Like they want to hang, they yep. want to hang around. Yep. So I get the same. <laughs> After the shoot is over. Yeah. They're like, oh, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I'm exhausted. I don't know about you, but I need to like, you know. Yeah. I, have to, I yeah. need to clean up. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That means people enjoy spending time with you and being with you and you make them feel comfortable and trusted. That's awesome. Very it's cool. a playground. We have a great time. Yeah. We have a great time. Yes. All right. Number two, how do you spend your time when you're not working? Oh, when I'm not working? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you ever not working? <laughs> oh, actually, this isn't work, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, you know, I try to spend time with the family. You know, I have a granddaughter. She's seven in the second grade, Aww. and we're doing all of her virtual learning from here, yeah. from my home. Yeah. But if I'm not shooting and I'm not at home with the family, I'm either working with my horse or I'm on the motorcycle. Your horse and motorcycle? Just getting some airtime. Yeah. Donna Maria, you just get better and better. Just getting some wind therapy. You get better and better. <laughs> horse and a motorcycle. You have to have some wind therapy. Yes. So the, the motorcycle gives me, you know, that's my wind therapy and... The horse, I, I, you know, I have to tell you, I have to have animals in my life. I always have dog or dogs, but right now I'm, I just have one. So we have a dog. We have a beautiful Connie Corso. We have a bearded dragon. Oh, my gosh. And then I have the horse. Could you be any cooler? <laughs> Seriously. A bearded dragon? Yeah, a bearded Amazing. dragon. And the horse, that's like, wow. That horse is like my spiritual partner. Mm-hmm. No matter what kind of day I've had, when I go to the farm where she's boarded, if things are bothering me, if I've, I've had a bad day, you know, if it's just something didn't go right, or if I have some concerns or some worries, I go to the farm and I'm telling you, you know, they sense everything. Mm -hmm. And I will go and I'll just start talking to her. And I don't know if it's the words or the way I'm saying it, but when I need it, she just puts her nose right on my shoulder and we just stand there. Aww. And it's like amazing. And I usually wind up crying and she winds up looking at me like, okay, I'm not going that far, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, they are amazing creatures. Oh, so cool. Yes, they are. They really are. So yeah, those are the two things that I do when I'm not at home and I'm not in the studio either shooting or editing. Yeah. Yeah. Very yes. cool. Very cool. Yes, yes. All right. Number three, what's your favorite inspirational quote? Uh, so there's so many quotes, but something that I found a long time ago that really applies today is the poem Invictus. It's by the 18th century English poet William Ernest Henley. It was brought to my attention when Nelson Mandela was released from prison. And he said this poem to himself. He cited this poem to himself every day of the 25 years that he was imprisoned. And I have this posted everywhere. It's posted in my home office. It's posted in my office at work, at the studio. And it just means everything. It means everything. And I'll tell it to you. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. 
Okay, this is Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of all the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Wow, that is powerful right there. Very much so. I have the chills again. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. And it's just a reminder that, you know, there are things that we can do to improve our own circumstances every day. And and we should do them. And we should find ways to be free, even when it seems like we're being just restrained, whether it's financially, whether it's, you know, with your work environment, with your home life. It, it doesn't matter. There are, there are ways to overcome things, and it starts with you. You are not kidding. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Number four, what would you say to people who are just getting started? <sighs> what would I say? I would say to those that are just getting started in this industry, and with anything really, but specifically within this industry, all you have is now. So start. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> you know, I have a tattoo on my left hand, right between my thumb and index finger. And the word is now. And now means right now, but it also means no opportunities wasted. Yep. I love that. What a good reminder to have right there too, for you to see all the time. Yes. Yes. I know it's, it's like, if you never took one step, you would never, I mean, it can just be something so small, just take one step and then another and then another. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it becomes this just, you know, culmination of things that brings you to where you want to be. If you don't ever start, you don't ever get there. Right. And it's kind of like if you wait until you're ready, well, when are you going to be ready? You'll never get started. Exactly. And I believe in looking at the end. Okay. But I was a facilitator for Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Successful People for the Air Force. And one of the paradigms is begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can begin with the end in mind, but you have to begin right? You have to actually start. You have to do something and use the end to help you develop those milestones that you want to meet to get to the end. But a lot of people I find, and and I catch myself, we think about the end. We think about where we want to be, and it just seems so monumental that we we get frustrated and and we don't know how to get started. Right. But like you said, just one step. If you don't know how to create a price list, okay, well, now we have that done for us. If you don't know where you need to start as far as the dollar amount is concerned, just start somewhere. If you're really selling at that point, then you know your prices aren't high enough. Right. If you don't know how to light, well, we have all the resources in the world 
within this group, within Sue Rice Education. So we have everything there. You just have to take the time and go and look for it. And everything is searchable. So we just have to start. And I think that's one of the things that the pandemic has shown us is that we were making a lot of excuses for why we weren't moving along. And the pandemic took those excuses and threw them right out of the window. We found that we didn't have to have a studio. We had a garage. There are people that are shooting in parks and they're doing very, very well. So, you know, at the end of the day, when I think that I could not do something, I ask myself this question. Did I have a good reason or did I have a great excuse? Ooh, I love that. Love, love, love. You're a wise woman. (laughs) Seriously, so many good nuggets of like inspiration and empowerment in there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nikki. This was awesome. So awesome. Hey, Donna Maria, where can people find you if they're looking for you online? Okay, well, they can find me on Instagram at Circa Life Images and at C-I-R-C-A-L-I-F-E Images. They can find me on Facebook at the same. And my website is CircaLifeImages.com. Awesome. Fantastic. I encourage everyone to find you and follow you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again for taking time to do this with us. And yeah, I'm excited for everyone just to hear your story and hear your wisdom and just about your life. So thank you. Thank you. Well, no, I, I thank you. This was incredible. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35 and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love, and there are posing downloads, lighting downloads, I mean, truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com.